Father, we thank you for your word, how it enlightens us, but we pray that you would also bring us understanding and the practical application of it, how a church is to run, what Calvary Chapel is, what other churches are, what makes us distinctive or have a distinct character, Lord. Uh, just pray that you would reveal all this, that you would guide the words out of my mouth and you'd bring understanding to the people here in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today, is in this age of so many different churches to choose from, how does someone choose a church and what makes us a Calvary Chapel as opposed to a Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Catholic, United Pentecostal, Unity, Church of God, Church of Christ, Mormon, Kingdom Hall, C3. All of those different churches are out there, Bethel. But then the churches in East County, I mean, if you wanted to choose a church in East County, you have Mapleview Baptist, Faith Mountain, Seventh-day Adventist, Rise City, Shadow Mountain, Lakeside Christian, Hosanna, Rock Church, Gateway, Foothills, Morningstar, Lutheran, Pathways, and that's just some of them. And so how do you choose, well, which church should I go to? And do I need to call them and see, well, what do you believe exactly? And does it comport? Is it along the lines with what I believe? Now, with Calvary Chapel, now I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but there is a way that each church operates. And all churches fall under these four things. And I learned this from a professor in seminary. His name was Dr. Donald Thorson. He was my favorite teacher. He taught two years of theology, and theology one and theology two. And he wrote a book about this. And he calls it the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And there are four things that all churches use to determine how they operate. And one is scripture. That scripture is number one, how a church determines how it's going to operate. Scripture, reason, you reason through the scriptures. Scripture, reason, tradition. Tradition is number one over scripture and over reason. And then there's experience. People will go to a church just for the experience. They want to experience God, so to speak, like Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. And each church has one of those as its number one. For Calvary Chapel, it's Scripture. Scripture is number one. We don't take tradition and say tradition is number one. Now, you should be able to recognize which church has tradition as its number one thing. Catholic Church. The Catholic Church will take tradition over Scripture. Now, there are churches that take reason over Scripture. Do you guys know which churches those are? It'd be the Reformed or Presbyterian churches. Even if there is a verse, and they would, they would not say that, but even if there is a verse that goes against like their soteriology, it's the study of salvation, if it goes against their study of salvation, they will try to eisegete that particular scripture or change its meaning from what the clear and present meaning is. And when we interpret scripture, you have the golden rule. And you've heard me say this golden rule before. If the scripture makes sense... Seek no other sense, lest you have nonsense, right? And so there are those who will have a theology and they want scripture to fit it so they give the scripture other meaning than what was intended 
in its original form. Uh, in Calvary chapels, we are big on interpretation, and many churches are uh, big on inter- interpretation. We have that in common, but it's you want to make sure you don't allow your theology to affect your interpretation. For instance, in the Reformed, and again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, in the Reformed tradition, for those who are double predestinationists, they will say some are born to salvation. There's nothing you can do about it. If you are destined to be saved, you will be saved. And no matter how much you fight it, you're still going to heaven. Then there's the other view that says, you're going to hell or somebody is going to hell. They're predestined for it. They can't change it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's called double predestination. Now, we don't hold to that, but that's arrived at through reason. That is not arrived at through scripture. For instance, in the Bible, it says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. They take that word world for God so loved the world and they change the meaning of it to be, for God so loved the elect. And if you change the meaning to elect, that means if you're destined to salvation, you're going to get saved no matter what. And you're going to persevere to the end no matter what. And so those are differences in theology. But what about practice? You know, what makes us distinct? And what I'm going to focus on this morning is going to be just a Calvary chapel. Now, all Calvary chapels are a little bit different. Uh, in, in their practice, but we all pretty much hold to the same theology. Chuck always asks us, Pastor Chuck, who is the founder of Calvary Chapel up in Costa Mesa, and as a result of him being obedient to the Lord, when he started out, there were 25 people in the church. Now he has, I don't know, 2,000 churches that have come out of that original church. And God has just blessed what he did in Chuck. And Chuck would... I lost my train of thought here. Anyhow, Chuck, Chuck made sure that we were all following the same type of theology. And if we wanted to change our theology, he simply said, just change your name. Don't be a Calvary Chapel. Want to make sure that if somebody goes to a Calvary Chapel here in Lakeside, as opposed to Spokane, Washington, that they will get pretty much the same thing. And if you want to be another believer, find or another believer, another uh, sect of Christian, Christianity, that's just fine. And we have fellowship with all Christians. Now, I'm going to say with all Christians with a caveat there, because there are organizations that call themselves Christian that are not Christian. For instance, the Mormon church is not Christian, although they will call themselves Christians. Same thing with Jehovah Witnesses. They are not Christians, even though they will call themselves Christians. Oneness Pentecostals, they call themselves Christians, but they are not Christians. They buy into the heresy that's called modalism, that God is one and he appears as Jesus. He appears as the Father. He appears as the Holy Spirit. The only problem I have with that is at the baptism of Jesus, you saw Jesus, you saw the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus like a dove, and you heard the Father in heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I once asked somebody about that, if there is only one God and he reveals himself in three different ways. I said, how do you explain God's, the father's voice coming from heaven and everybody heard it? How do you explain that? And Jesus is right there and the Holy Spirit coming down. In response, they said, well, don't you think Jesus could throw his voice? And I, 
I thought to myself, what, he's purposely trying to deceive the people that there's somebody else in heaven, you know? And so the people go to great lengths to twist the scripture. And there's actually a book about that, Twisting Scripture, to fit your theology. And I've always maintained in this church and from this lectern, if I ever come across a particular scripture that would seem to change my theology, I will change it. I will just say, you know, I've misinterpreted that for so long. And I've done that in the past. It, it mostly is 20, 25 years ago, but you know, I'm pretty solid where I am now. Uh, like for instance, um, I wanted to, there's this debate on the Apostles' Creed. On the Apostles' Creed, it says, Jesus descended into hell, is what it says in the original Apostles' Creed. And then he rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. And I look at that and I go, well, Jesus didn't descend to hell. And I said, okay, I need to settle this once and for all. So a couple of months ago, I did a whole Bible study on it. I got here early in the morning. I said, okay, I'm going to find out for sure if he did this. I looked up all the information and looked in the Greek. And he said, is this true? Did Jesus descend to hell or did he descend to the lower regions? And I came to the conclusion after the Bible study, he did not descend into hell. He just descended to the lower regions. And that's how we're supposed to do Bible study, the inductive Bible study. You look at the text, you read the context and take the whole context of the Bible. And once you have the interpretation of that, then you put in the application. And the application is understanding who Jesus Christ is, right? Now, there are essentials that all Christian churches will maintain. We maintain it, the Presbyterians maintain it, the Methodists, the Episcopalians, the Catholic Church, and they are, Jesus Christ is God in human form. The Trinity exists. Jesus is the sacrifice, the only way to heaven in which we may attain fellowship with the Father. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. The church in Pentecost, you know, that was in, uh, day 50, but... He also ascended to the Father and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is born of a virgin. These are essentials of the Christian faith. If you don't hold to these, you are not part of the Orthodox Christian faith. You are a cult. You are someone who is never going to go to heaven if you hold to that belief system. Everything hinges upon who we trust and what we believe. And so that's what we hold to here in this church. We hold to the tenets of the Christian faith, the basics of the Christian faith. Now, in certain things, we deviate. Like, for instance, as I just mentioned, we deviate from the Presbyterian church on their soteriology, how you get saved. And we disagree here at Calvary Chapel. We don't hold to the Calvinistic view. We don't hold to the Arminius view. Uh, some would say, well, we're Calminius then. And I just, no, we, we don't agree with that. And I'll get into the theology next week. Uh, what we look at as far as what is solid as far as scripture is concerned. And I'll back that up with scripture. But what do we do here at Calvary Chapel in Lakeside that makes us stand apart from every other church? Because if there's all these other churches in Lakeside, if there's another one like us, we should just merge. We should just become one church. Again, there's a caveat there. You have to be willing, right? Because there's a lot of pastors out there. They say, it's my church. And it's not my church. If the Lord says, merge, merge. You know, just 
get together. And how do you know that? Put your flesh to the side. I've been cultivating this ground for 26 years, and not out of bat, they've given up to some old young preacher. You know, and they just, people get upset. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's the Lord's church, and we have to find out what the Lord wants. And so if we're like-minded, we're supposed to merge. If we're not like-minded, that's why we stay a Calvary Chapel, right? Now, with us, what we do here, I'm going to focus, I'm going to let you know what we do. We have missions. We focus on missions. I'd like to focus a lot more on missions, but we are limited by how much the Lord provides us by the giving here in the church. We provide support for Basilio Nunez in San Quentin, Mexico. We provide support for Kent and Sherry Pixley in Croatia. Uh, We have supported them since the church began. We support a women's home in Cambodia. They take women out of the sex trafficking over there, and they place them into a home. And there's women over there that disciple them, get their mind changed around, make sure they become believers in Jesus Christ, and set them on the right path. We also support an orphanage over there, Children of Hope, uh, Catherine is over there. When you guys, those of you who are going to Cambodia, maybe you'll have a chance to see her and all the children. And I think she has a four-story house. And she's associated with Water of Life, which is the Calvary Chapel of Cambodia, which is over there. We support Drew McIntyre, who has a ministry, world, or Word to the World ministry, where he does the inductive Bible study. I think he travels over 40 weeks out of the year. And when he, he's in Israel right now, and he's going to come back for three days, and then we're going to Africa. So he has first-class bump-up a lot uh, when he gets on the shorter flights. They, they don't kick him off or drag him off the plane. They, you know, they uh, actually treat him well. But uh, it, it's an exciting time to go with Drew on a flight. You know, he'll call up and say, make sure you get a seat at the front. I don't have to wait in this plane for all these people. You know, I'm the people who are supposed to witness to the, you know, he's just, he has these quirks. You guys who have been with him, you know how he is, but that man is sold out for the Lord. He, he almost makes you feel guilty that you're not a good enough disciple. You know, you came to Cambodia, yeah, but have you died yet? You know, that, that type of thing is, is what he does. And he's just a, a great influence. You know, he, he helps us to become more mature. And by the way, just as a side note, these trips that we go on, if you go, they change you. They change you in ways that you can't imagine. You know, when we're in our little cubicle here in Lakeside and we experience church, you know, it's all good. Not everybody can go, but when you go, God does something in the heart of the individual that goes, if they go with the right attitude. Because every missions trip has its challenges, but I just wanted you to keep in that in mind. And also... With that in mind, if you think you're qualified to go, there are a couple of openings in December to go to Cambodia. And if you think, well, maybe I'd like to go and eat some tarantulas, you know, or whatever we might do over there, you don't have to eat tarantulas. There's a lot of rice over there, so you can eat all the rice you want. But you can go in December if you'd like to. Just see me. We'll probably have you fill out an application, and we'll take it from there. We also support the Pregnancy Care Center in East County. A new one opened up, and we're praying about supporting that one. I forget the address, and actually the woman who is the director there, the nurse in charge, she went on the last missions trip with us. Uh, We support the Lakeside Help Center. If somebody comes to the church and says, hey, man, can you spare me a couple of bucks? We say, hey, 
we can send you over to the Lakeside Help Center and get you some food and get you some clothing. And, you know, that way we kind of avoid the handout and all the churches in Lakeside contribute to that. So all we have to do with a pastor's recommendation, you can go over there and you can get satisfied whatever you need and they will provide for you like i said food clothing and i i think sometimes they do a little bit more but uh, that's up to them they're the ones that handle that and then we've also been involved in calvary relief and we've been to baton rouge louisiana new jersey with hurricane sandy and bay st louis with hurricane katrina katrina i think we went three times uh, over there and whenever something comes up a disaster with calvary relief we considered going to the philippines when they had their problems over there with hurricanes, a typhoon that was over there. And so we just take it as it comes with that. And so that's what we do as a church as far as missions is concerned. Outreaches here, we do the Spirit of Christmas on the main. That's really the biggie uh, for us in Lakeside. We have more than a 1,000 people come through there. And I know Frank and Trish, they wear the uh, cotton candy around their heads and on their clothes and everywhere. And it's just a lot of fun to do that. We have the Operation Christmas Child that we get involved in. And it constantly, with Yolanda doing what she does, thank you, Yolanda. How many uh, shoe boxes did we pass out last time? How many? 548, and that was a lot more than some of the big churches, right? Yeah, we go up and up. There's only two churches in the East County that every year they do more and more and more. Yeah, you know, and that's a fantastic testimony. You know, we're not a mega church, but... It's like, wow, the Lord wants to do this to us. Well, thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity you know, to do that. And then we also do the VBS. We've done the VBS for years. And sometimes the attendance is low, sometimes it's high, but you know, it's here and people know about it. Then we have the Sunday morning uh, service, the Wednesday night service. And we have prayer before the Wednesday night service. We have the Thursday night youth group. We have the women's study that meets every other week. And it's on a break right now, correct? You guys are taking a break. We have the men's study on Saturday mornings. We have the home fellowship, and you're going to be in the book of Ezra Monday, correct? And so if you're interested in going to a home fellowship, I'd recommend you see Les and talk to him about it. And, of course, Janie opens up the church on Tuesday mornings for prayer, and she's over on the other side. And then we have the ushers, the hospitality, the cleaning ministry, the worship, the sound, the overhead projection, the IT, Daryl and Kim, you know, they... They do all that stuff. We have a website. You know, we actually have a website and it works and you can go there and you can see stuff. It's just like, wow, you know, and the Lord has done all of this. The Lord has put the people together like pieces in a puzzle and all this is being done. And, you know, I look at that and I go, wow, Lord, you, you really have blessed it. You know, as a pastor, you often, I can't tell you how many times I have said, Lord, do you want me to continue to do this? You want me to quit? Just let me know. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Really, do you want me to quit? Just tell me. You know, and every pastor goes through that. I'm going to give you some statistics on that in a minute. But what makes us a Calvary Chapel? Well, we have these Calvary distinctives. And there's a book. It's called Calvary Chapel Distinctives. And it's free on the Internet. It's in a PDF form. And you can read it. And for the most part... It talks about Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith, how he started it, what a Calvary Chapel is. I mean, it really goes into detail. And when it comes to the choosing of pastors, we don't choose pastors. We don't say, 
you look like you'd be a good candidate to be a pastor. We don't do that. Matter of fact, Chuck Smith has always said, if you can do anything else, do it. Anything else at all. Don't be a pastor. And unless the person can be convinced not to do something else, you know, or if they convince themselves they're not going to do anything else, then they can sign up. Now, when I started in the ministry, it was, oh, so you want to be a pastor? Okay. Lord bless them. (laughs) And it's out the door. It's like, so how do we do this? We have no idea. There was no training whatsoever. And that's the way in the beginning it was done. And so when you start, you know, when we started, we made mistakes after mistakes. And we learned from the mistakes. And during those mistakes, Pastor Chuck also said that in order for a pastor to be used, he has to be broken. And I heard that. I go, I don't know if I signed up for that, you know, to be broken. But, you know, I had my time of being broken. And it's being broken usually one major time. But there can be several times after that that the Lord wants to break the pastor, break him emotionally, install humility in the individual, get rid of all pride that he possibly can without just destroying the flesh. But that's what Chuck always said, and I believe that. I have seen that over and over. And nobody takes that honor upon himself. And it's funny, when I was called, uh, and there's a whole testimony behind that that I don't have time to share today. But when I was called, the Lord gave me one verse in specific because I was sitting there going, well, Lord, do you want us to start a church in Lakeside? It seems great. We're all happy. Yeah, we can do this. You know, I think I can do this because I'm like, I can do this. And then the Lord said, ah, just a minute. I have something for you. And it was this. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. And the Lord gave that to me when I I was saying to myself, I can do this. And I read this again, I can't do this. You know, (laughs) the Lord has to call the individual and they have to know that they are called without a shadow of a doubt. I mean that, and some Guys, young guys who come to the ministry, they think, well, it's a vocation. I can be a mechanic or I can be a pastor. We don't believe that at Calvary Chapel. There's people in the denominational circuit, so to speak. They just go to seminary and go, yeah, I think I'd like to be a pastor. I think that would be great. I would enjoy that. Like some people want to be a nurse or some people want to be a doctor. Some people just want to be a pastor. And I would say, don't. Just don't do it. Your life can be a mess if you do this and you have to be prepared for that and the Lord prepares those who he calls. So a Calvary Chapel pastor must have a specific calling. He must know that he is called and the Lord reveals where. And the Lord did all of that for us. Now, I want to give you some statistics. I want you to buckle your seatbelt. 90% of the pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours per week. This is a survey that was taken, and it was taken in 2017 by Pastoral Care, Inc. So 55 to 75 hours a week. 
80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastors' children do not attend church now because of what the church has done to their parents. 33% or a third state that being in ministry is an outright hazard to their family. 75% report significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 90% feel they are inadequately trained to cope with the ministry demands. 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged as role of pastors. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 70% say they have a low self-image now or lower self-image now than when they first started. 40% report serious conflict with the parishioners at least once a month. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid. 50% of the ministers starting out will not last five years. 94% of clergy families feel the pressures of the pastoral ministry. 80% of spouses feel the pastor is overworked. 80% of spouses feel left out and underappreciated by church members. 80% of pastors' spouses wish their spouse would choose a different profession. 66% of church members expect a minister and family to live at a higher moral standard than themselves. The profession of pastor is near the bottom of a survey of the most respected professions, just above car salesmen. 4,000 new churches begin every year and 7,000 churches close. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year in 2016. Over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, many without cause. Over 3,500 people a day left the church last year. Many denominations report an empty pulpit crisis. They cannot find ministers willing to fill the positions. You think. (laughs) Number one reason pastors leave the ministry. Church people are not willing to go the same direction and goal of the pastor. Pastors believe God wants them to go in one direction, but the people are not willing to follow or change. How would you like that as your job description? All of that, and you look at this, unless you are called, you will not make it. You will become a casualty. And the only, you know, when I was in seminary, we had this uh, pastoral care class that we would have to go to and talk to these men who had been pastors for decades. And this one guy, he said, you need to write down your calling. He goes, you're going to need it. You're going to have to refer back to when God called you so that you can stay firm in your calling and you do not fall by the wayside. The pastoral ministry is wrought with problems. It is just woven in like a weaver's rod goes through a rug. It just goes all the way through. There are always problems. And unless you develop the right mindset, and it took me over 20 years to get the right mindset. Like, it's not mine. It's not my problem. It's God's problem. I'm just going to do what God has called me to do. And, you know, God, they're your sheep. They're butting heads. They want to butt my head, and I'm not playing. So you deal with them, God, and you take care of them. I'm just going to be faithful. And that has to be the attitude. Uh, This 
assistant pastor over at Calvary Chapel of Mesa, when we were called to ministry, he comes up to me and he goes, I'm going to tell you to do one thing. I said, what's that? He goes, get a thick skin. Okay, I'll get a thick skin. And, you know, I didn't know what that meant at first, but uh, I've come to know what that means. You know, after we're going on 26 years of ministry here. And so it's like, wow, if you make it that far and you, you understand what God wants. Now, I, I will confess to you, I know Jesus. I spend time with him. I ask him what he wants. I ask him where he wants me to take the church. I ask him for insight and wisdom constantly. And I ask him for help just to endure. You know, I want to make sure I'm spending time with him because after all, he's the example. He endured everything and he knows how to do it. And sometimes he doesn't answer. And that's where the faith comes in for the person who is in ministry. And so this is the Calvary Chapel pastor. This is what they have to go through. And what I'm describing to you is not unique to me. It's unique to all the pastors. I read you the survey. They never contacted me for this survey. But the survey is out there and you can see how many problems are associated with it. And that's why Chuck Smith said, if you can do anything else, just do it. Now, if you get involved in ministry as well in a Calvary Chapel, you were supposed to exhibit the Jesus-style Gail Irwin. He wrote a book, Gail Irwin, The Jesus-Style. You were supposed to exhibit the servant-style leadership. Uh, In my landscaping business and being a gardener, I would take care of some churches. One church in particular is actually a cult, and they had a pastor's parking spot. And it was right in front. And that is anathema to the Calvary Chapel pastor. If you're a Calvary Chapel pastor, I'm sorry. If you have to park a mile away, you park a mile away. You give the front to somebody else. You don't pull up in the front. If there's toilets that need to be cleaned, grab a brush, brother. If you have to do some painting, do some painting. If there are people that want to help, then fine. Get the people and and let them help. We're supposed to raise up people to do the work of the ministry. My job... My ultimate job here is to make sure that when I'm gone, whenever that is, if it's tomorrow, tonight, 10 years, 20 years, whenever it is, that it just keeps on going. That's my job is to make sure the, the job of the church of making disciples just continues. That means I have to decrease and the Lord increases and people step up and they take the ministry. That is the model of Calvary Chapel. If somebody comes to me, I've had this over the years too. You know what you need to do, Pastor Bill? What's that? You need to have a midweek prayer service. Okay, I'll just fit that in between my 55 and 75 hours a week and I'll come at night and I'll, I'll just do that. And then Patty say, you're overworked. You know, that type of thing. You, you go through the, uh, the surveys that are there. But I think that in my head, but what I say is, you know, that'd be a great idea. We'll give you a key. And then you usually never hear anything else. It's like they just go by the wayside. Oh, Pastor Bill, you need to do this visitation. Pastor Bill, you need to build this. Pastor Bill, you need to conduct this seminar. Pastor Bill, you... And they come up with all these things. And I always say, I think it's a great idea for you to get involved in prison ministry. Just go ahead. I'll, I'll pray for you that the Lord just blesses you. And then you just hear crickets. You know, no, nobody wants to come forward and actually do something. But everybody has their opinions of what needs to be done. And when church started, and I'm not any different than all these other Calvary pastors. I'm familiar with several of them. 
you start out in ministry and you think, oh, I need to do this to please that person and do this to please that person. I gave that up. I'm just going to do what the Lord wants me to do and that's what I'm going to focus on and that's where we're going. You know, I'm not going to take on the burden of everybody else's burden when it comes to what to do in ministry. That's their burden and they're being disobedient. If they come to me, this needs to be done. The Lord's telling them, get this done. There's one person that came through the church here that I spent years just trying to fold them into a particular ministry. We'd do different things and go different areas. And what do you think? And that person would always turn it back to me. Well, are you going to do it? You're missing the point, you know? You're supposed to go in that direction. The Lord wants to raise up disciples who are truly disciples that take on the ministry. Who's supposed to take on the ministry? Everyone. Uh, Chuck Smith says in his book, Calvary Distinctives, he considers everybody a deacon or a deaconess because that's somebody who just serves. And so everybody is supposed to be in that kind of position, so to speak. Now, with this ministry... I want to make sure I get everything in that is really uh, critical here. For those who are called, they have this attitude like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 says, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The person who's called as a Calvary Chapel pastor, they just, they have to tell somebody. They have to bring somebody along and, and have them be a disciple. And they do not feel comfortable just sitting idle. That is a person who is called to be usually a pastor or somebody who ministers or somebody who is a teacher. And the evidence of their calling is there will be people that they teach, people that they disciple. That's how it works in Calvary Chapel. And so it, it is not something that is pent up and held inside. It comes out. And that's, I think that should be a characteristic of all uh, believers who follow after Christ if they're truly disciples. And with that, a minister who is called... Scripture says in Philippians, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. In other words, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Anybody want to sign up? You know, it's this idea of what I, if I'm going to minister, I have to suffer. Yes. Now I, my suffering is nothing. I read these testimonies like people in Cambodia in the killing fields and what they had to go through to get the scriptures. It was one person, he was, and I think they actually made a movie about this, but one person, he just said, God, if you don't do something, I'm just giving up. And he was in prison in Cambodia, Khmer Rouge and all that. And the guard would come in and he had relieved himself and it was this prisoner's job to clean out the latrine. And this uh, guy he prayed this prayer, God, if you don't do something, I'm giving up. So what happened was this guard, he needed paper and he used a Bible. And so when it was the job of this prisoner who said he was going to give up, was cleaning out the latrine, he would see it was scripture the very next day. And of course, he was able to build an entire Bible, had to clean the papers and God used him in a great way. My suffering is nothing. I, I don't have a problem at all. People get mad at me. Well, okay, I offend somebody. Well, 
Just stay long enough. You'll get your chance. You know, it, it just happens that way. What, what the message I give is offensive. It actually acts to kill your flesh. Who wants to stand for that? And you actually come to get your flesh killed. You know, that, that's just a marvel to me that anybody would come and do that except it's Jesus Christ drawing them by the Holy Spirit. And so somebody who is called as a Calvary Chapel pastor, that's it. Now, offices in the church, there are offices. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and this is in all churches in all Christendom. There are some who are called to be apostles, some called to be prophets, Ephesians four eleven. Some called to be evangelists, some called to be pastors and teachers. And it seems to be a hierarchy there that the apostles are number one, then you have the prophets, then you have the evangelists, then you have the pastors, then you have the teachers. And so these are offices that have been set up by Christ for the church, for the church to operate and is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so those offices, the people that are in those offices are supposed to be working with the body to bring them to full maturity. Now, what's the number one reason people want to leave or that ministers leave the ministry? It's because people say, no, I don't want to. Somebody who's a pastor says, I want you to get involved in a discipleship program. And the person says, no, I have to cut my lawn today. I can't do that. My fingernails are a little long. I have to clean my sink at home. I have to dust out the car. You know, things like that. They have reasons why they don't. And Jesus calls us all to do that. And I'll get into a little bit of that later. So there are prophets and evangelists, pastors. Now, a pastor, the Greek word is episkopos, or bishop is what that is. And then there are also elders. In this church here, we have Eric and Dustin that are officially installed as elders. One of the problems in Calvary Chapel that we have noticed is when you get somebody a title, sometimes it goes to their head. Their head inflates, and then they start getting a little top-heavy, and they go from left to right. And so you want to be careful, as Apostle Paul says, do not be quick to lay on hands. If you get somebody that's a young convert and you put them in a position like that, they become top-heavy in their head, and they think of themselves more highly than they ought, and they're not humble. You know, one of the things that God has done in this church is to make sure that the elders that are in this church are follically challenged to keep us humble. You know, that's one of the things that he does. And we go from having a six-pack to having a one-pack. You know, that, that type of thing is how God keeps the individual humble. And then correction comes along, and it's all good when that happens. And the person who is serving in a good fashion recognizes that that's God's way of keeping the individual humble so they will be the greatest in God's kingdom, which is the servant of all, not thinking of themselves more highly than they ought, not raising the pastor and elder to a place where he wears a robe and he's respected and he stands at the door as he goes out. You know, if other churches want to do that, that's fine. They can do that, but that's not Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel is you are a slave, you are a bondservant to Christ, you go to the doorpost of the door and you get your ear pierced with an awl and you put a gold ring in it and you become a bondservant for life. That's who you are. And the gifts of calling and calling of God are without repentance, which means if you are an elder, if you are a deacon, you are for life. It doesn't end. And if somebody is qualified to be an elder or a deacon, it doesn't mean they abandon the position. They may step out for a while and do something, but they're supposed to be serving as well, just like everybody's supposed to be a disciple. 
And God uses those individuals, those offices to accomplish the building up of the body of Christ, to bring people to full maturity. Now, it, it has to be something that they desire. God puts that desire in somebody. There's nothing more disappointing than somebody who comes along and says, I think I want to be an elder. And then they're not willing to put in the effort. And you go, well, what do you, you just want the title then, right? And a lot of people do that in churches. They'll come in and they want a position of power and they use that power to their own ends, to their own means, and it, it just does not work out well for them. Appointing elders, it's also talked about in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, or 5 through 9, and deacons, it's talked about in First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But then there's the styles of government. Now, I have about four minutes to explain this. There's the community or congregational style of government where everybody in a church has one vote. Baptist churches are like that, including the pastor. He has one vote. Then there is the elder-led church or the presbyteros. The Presbyterian church does this where you have a group of elders. The pastor is one of the elders and he operates as one of the elders and they have one vote and they're the ones that make all the decisions for the churches. In a Baptist church, you'll have committees and subcommittees and those subcommittees report to the committees which report to the church in their annual or monthly or quarterly meeting and they make decisions on what to do, what color should the church roof be, what color the carpet and everything is decided by the congregation in a Presbyterian church. It's the elders that decide all that. Then there is the Episcopos church. That would be like the Catholic church. It's a hierarchy. You have the Pope, you have the cardinals, you have the bishops, you have the priests, you have the deacons, and then you have the congregants. Now, in Calvary Chapel, it's more of an Episcopos type of church. And some would say, well, you know, that's wrought with problems, right? Like the Presbyterian church is not wrought with problems. Like the Catholic church is not wrought with problems. Like the community church or the congregational church is not wrought with problems. You know, there's several times where you had an individual that was called by God in the Old Testament, Rehoboam, for instance. He was called. It was prophesied that he would be king over Israel after um, King Solomon was there. And there was also Absalom. And he had people around him giving him counsel. Uh, and those people that gave him counsel it led to his death, right? Jeremiah was an only prophet. And he was saying one thing. And all these other prophets are saying, no, it's going to be fine. And he's going, no, you're going to be taken off into captivity. Don't listen to these other prophets. And the multitude of prophets were saying, no, don't listen to Jeremiah. Throw him in a cistern and let him stay in the mud for a while. And just persecute him. And so there are times where the counsel of the many is, needs to be opposed there are good examples of that in Scripture. Now, how do we operate here? I'm the pastor and I have the final word. And you might say, oh, you have that much power? No, I really don't. It's all Christ. I'm supposed to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm making decisions and the elders go, I don't think so. If I make the decision, guess what the elders do? They fly away. They just go, I'm not staying here. Are you kidding? So it's incumbent upon me to listen to the wisdom of the elders. They provide guidance where I'm supposed to go. There's a couple of times over the course of this church where I have made independent decisions that go against the leadership in the church. And one really stands out. And it's only one time that really stands out. I think there may be another one. But one of them was the leadership of the church came to me. And this is the beginning of the church in the first year. There were women in the church who wanted to have a part in deciding the direction of the women's ministry that were not involved in the women's ministry. And I said, what? Yeah, these women, the wives of these other men that were part of the leadership, 
the women talked to their husbands. Their husbands came to me. They said to me, our wives want to be involved in the decision-making process for the women's ministry, even though they're not going to be involved in the women's ministry. And I said, no, that's not happening. Then it turned into it's Bill's way or the highway after that. And, you know, that violates scripture. Do not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. If you want to be involved in the women's ministry, put your nose to the grindstone. You will receive the benefit if you plow the field. But don't think I'm going to give you reward as the pastor of the church to make decisions for a particular ministry if you're not going to be involved in it. You know, so I did that, which ultimately led to a church split because I wasn't willing to capitulate on that. And so it's decisions like that. But everything else, it's unanimous. I believe it needs to be unanimous. If we're not unanimous in the decision that the church makes here, I'm in trouble, right? And so you need to use wisdom. There are times where the pastor may oppose what's going on, but it better be good. And if it's not good, you're in dangerous territory if that's the case. I don't have my hands on the money. Isn't that right, Eric? Isn't that right, Dustin? Dustin, you in here? It's right. Yeah, and if something comes up, Dustin, I think I said this a few weeks ago. So what was 1679 for? You know, well, Dustin, I bought a book. It was an audio book. Yeah, that's what it was. And Daryl's going, well, how does that happen if it's, you know, it's a third party thing? And I'm, I'm going, really, guys, like $16. Really? And, and so they keep track of what's going on. You know, I do have a charge card, zing, zing. It, it, you know, if it's something like Hawaii, what? Why are you going to Hawaii? Pastor's conference. <laughs> For a month? You know, what's, what's going on with that? And so they keep me accountable on something like that. They check things out, and it's best that it works that way. Now, I'm going over on my time. And so that's how the, the government in our church works. I'll probably explain a few more things about that, and I'm going to go into the theology next week. What it is that we practice. What about eschatology? For Calvary Chapel, eschatology is big. Some churches, now we're not being raptured. There is no millennium. Christ is just coming back. Like the Catholic Church, they don't believe in that. And we do according to Scripture. So we're going to talk about that, maybe how close we are to the rapture of the church. But I, I just want to let you know who we are as a Calvary Chapel and what we hold to and how the church operates. And if you have any questions about this, put them in the agape box. Write them on a sheet of paper. And, and if you say, well, does Calvary Chapel practice Lent? You know, the kind of the navel. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever question you might have, just put it in there and I will answer, make an attempt to answer that question next week. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we, we thank you for the, uh, just the opportunity to serve, to have a church, Lord, that you were involved in, that you were directing. It is such a great thing to see you moving and your spirit working in the lives of the individuals and that you mold us to be part of your church and you're building us into a unified unit. We ask, Lord, that we would continually submit to you, that you would cultivate in us humility, that you would use us in a way that furthers your kingdom and help us, Lord, to always keep first and foremost, we serve you. We don't serve any man, but we serve you. And whatever your desire is, make those desires our desires. In Jesus' name, amen.